Uh, it is our practice as a church uh, to, to celebrate the season of Advent, the four Sundays prior to, to Christmas Day. This is a, this is a tradition um, in many churches. It was newer to me. I didn't grow up in a church that practiced Advent. Um, the word simply means coming or, or arrival. And so Advent season is a season every year uh, of, of waiting and anticipating Remembering that waiting and that anticipating of those first century believers for the coming of Messiah. Luke's gospel tells us that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He was looking for Israel's consolation. He was waiting. He was longing for Messiah to come. God had promised salvation for his people. And so there were many like Simeon who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. They were looking for God's chosen one, God's promised redeemer to arrive. God had assured his people through the prophet Isaiah that a shoot would spring up from the stump of Jesse. Now that's a metaphor. That was a picture of a tree that had been hewn down because of Israel's disobedience. The tree had been cut down, but the promise was that a shoot would spring up out of that stump, that a righteous ruler was coming. A promised redeemer was on its way. And this promised redeemer was going to come from David's lineage. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so they waited For over 400 years, they waited. And so we wait. For the Christ who did come has said that he will come again. I'm going away to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you can be also. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God is dwelling with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things will have passed away Then one who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making everything new. He who testifies about these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And we say with John, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for that day, don't we? When Christ returns and and consummates his kingdom and makes all things new. When he will take his finger and wipe the tears off of our cheeks and comfort us with his loving embrace. We long for that day. I was having a conversation with my boys the other night before bed about heaven. and uh, My son Drew was having a hard time wrapping his mind around eternity and forever. It's a hard concept that none of us can really grasp. But as we talked about it, what, where we went to was this reality that in that age of eternity, 
every day we wake up will be the best day of our lives. It's going to be so wonderful. We'll be with Jesus. And all of the pain and all of the tears and all of the discouragement and all of the, the confusion, it will have gone away. We'll reign with him forever. We anticipate, we hope, we long for that day. That's what this Advent season is all about. And to guide our time this year, we're going to follow the first 28 verses of the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 1. This morning we will read verses 1 through 5 and then verses 10 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, it should be on the screens for you. If you don't own a Bible, we have one in the foyer that we would love to give you. So if you need a Bible, be sure to stop by the welcome table and let us provide a copy of God's Word for you. John writes these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Now verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. The Apostle John begins his story of Jesus, his gospel narrative, unlike any of the other three. Matthew, as he begins his narrative of Jesus, he begins with a genealogy. Matthew wants to immediately tie the story of Jesus to Abraham and to David. And so he wants to show that Jesus comes from the lineage of David and Abraham. Mark, as he starts his story, he skips right over the birth of Altogether, He jumps right into the ministry of Jesus with John the Baptist, preparing the way for Messiah to come. Luke gives us the most thorough and, and orderly account of the birth of, of Jesus, which is why we probably often read from Luke's gospel every Christmas. That's the, that's the tradition in my family. We read from the gospel of Luke each Christmas. But John, John begins his gospel really differently, with language that takes us back not to a stable in Bethlehem, but to the beginning of history. He begins his gospel story with three familiar words, in the beginning. And if, and if you were a Jewish listener, or if you're a listener familiar with the Old Testament, you would immediately recognize that John is repeating the first three words of the Hebrew Scriptures. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And the picture that we're given in Genesis of the world before creation is that of a deserted abyss. It's uh, before the divine word was uttered, springing forth to construct and to carve out creation like a master artist. Before that word was uttered, the world, we're told, was, was a chaotic darkness. Genesis 1-2. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. Then verse 3, God says, let there be light. And the word of God detonates light and order into the void. And so the Apostle John hearkens us back to this scene of creation, of light entering the chaotic darkness and beginning to bring order into the chaos as the backdrop for how he wants to present the coming of Jesus to us. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is both the one who was there in the beginning, bringing everything into being, and the one who now comes to initiate a new beginning. John sees the arrival of Jesus in the flesh as the dawn of a new creation. Jesus enters into the chaotic madness of a sin-filled world to utter a new birth and to shine the light of life and hope. He is the Word made flesh, the one who comes to bring redemption, to restore order, and to show us the way to the Father. He is the light of the world. In fact, one of John's favorite themes in his writing throughout the Gospel of John is this theme of light and darkness. And he introduces it to us in verses 4 and 5. He says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness does not overcome it. This morning, this morning I want us to consider what John means when he says in verse 4 that Jesus is the light of men who shines in the darkness. We'll make four observations. The first thing we notice is that we needed a light to come. We needed a light to come. Before creation, the world had no light. And so Jesus, or so God's first act of creation there in Genesis was to say, let there be light. The rest of the creation story depended upon light. Light came first. And likewise, God's final act in bringing salvation to the world is to send a light. Without the true light coming into the world, as John puts it in verse 9, the world would have remained in spiritual darkness. Redemption required the true light to appear. In Isaiah chapter 9, which we referenced a minute ago, the prophet pictured the world before Messiah came as a people living in a land of great darkness. Have you ever, have you ever found yourself in utter and complete darkness before? I mean, I'm talking about, like, absolutely no light. It's the kind of darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's an eerie, it's an eerie feeling. It's, it's a weird thing. It's terrifying, isn't it? Have you ever tried to find your way around in the dark? Inevitably, 
you stubbed a toe. If you're a parent, you definitely stepped on some Legos. Life in the darkness always leads to pain. And that's the picture of the world that the prophet Isaiah gives us of life for Israel before Messiah came. It's still a picture for us of a world whose Messiah has come but still lives in darkness, either unaware or inattentive to the reality that the light has come. Recently, I read an article uh, from Smithsonian Magazine about the body's need for light. The article stated that in one recent study, uh, this, this journal of investigative dermatology suggested that exposing the skin to sunlight can reduce the risk of stroke or heart attack, uh, possibly because it alters the level of nitric oxide in the human skin and blood. When, when the skin is exposed to light, uh, small amounts of nitric oxide are, are, are transferred from the skin to the circulatory system, dilating blood vessels and lowering blood pressure. So exposure to the sunlight actually uh, is good for the heart and, and, and can reduce stroke and heart attack. This article went on to explain that on the flip side, scientists have discovered that prolonged darkness can play a significant role in disorders from depression to diabetes. That without the appropriate amount of sunlight, the human body suffers physically and mentally. Isn't that fascinating? The scriptures offer a similar conclusion. What, what John is, is saying to us is, is that a world subjected to prolonged spiritual darkness is susceptible to suffering and sin. In fact, this is the history of the world. A world without its proper rule, a world without its proper light is a world given over to chaos and darkness. We see this played out and recapitulated over and over again in the story of Israel. In the Old Testament, it is a people who need the true light to come, but a people given over to darkness. The world needed a light to come. Isaiah prophesied, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in a land of darkness. And this is the great hope of Christmas that we celebrate, that we just sang about, that the light has come. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And this is the second observation we see in this passage. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. We needed a light to come, and the light that came was a life. God sent his light into the world, and it came in the form of a person. The light that came was not an it. It was a him. And if we work backwards from verse 4, we can find the antecedent of, of him. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the light 
in verse 4 is the Logos in verse 1. The light that appeared was the Word who was with God in the beginning. Listen to how John puts it. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. and That life was the light of men. Notice a few things with me about this word who was in the beginning. The first thing we see is that this word was an eternal being. In the beginning was the word. Before anything else was the word. The word existed from the beginning. There was never a time when the word was not. He was in the beginning with God. This word is an eternal being. This, the second thing we see is that the word was a divine being. He was in the beginning with God. And the word was God. This is profound. There's a distinction here. Of personhood, right? The Word was with God, a distinction from the Father. The Word was God of the same essence as the Father. This Word was divine. This Word is the creator of life. All things were made by Him. Nothing came into being without Him. This Word is the creator of all. John says, in Him was Life. He is the source of all life, source of all physical life, and the source of all spiritual life. And then he says in verse 4, that life was the light of men. This word, who was in the beginning with God, who is of the same essence as the Father, who created everything, who is the source of life, is also the source of revelation. He is the light of men. What John is saying is that the Son of God, who was with God in the beginning, of the same essence as the Father, the sustainer of life, this, this being, this word, has entered into the world he created to become the light for us. Jesus came to shine in the darkness. Jesus would later tell his disciples in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth. And the life. Verse 18 of our text says, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is Himself God and at the Father's side, He has revealed Him. Jesus makes the invisible God visible, He shows us the way to the Father, He is the way. Life is found in him. That's what John is saying to us. The light that came to shine in the darkness, hear this. We need to hear this this morning. The light that came to shine in the darkness was not a self-help method. It was not a religious path. It was not a philosophy. The light that came to shine in the darkness was God incarnate. It was the eternal word made flesh, born into the world, that he might become one of us, that he might suffer with us, that he might die for us, that he might rise and conquer the grave. The light that the world needed, the light that the world still needs, is Jesus. Jesus says to us in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me, 
We'll never walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. I wonder what you find yourself looking to this moment for light. What is it that you believe is your way out of darkness? We all find ourselves in these moments, don't we? Where we want a way out of our situation. We want a better life. We want this problem to be fixed. And we, we can fill in the blank. If I only had this, then my problem would be resolved. If I could only get to here, then everything would be better. If I only... My life were only a little bit more like this. Jesus steps into that and he says, I am the light of the world. Follow me. I'm the hope that you need. I am your source. I am your solution. He calls himself the light of life. He is the light you need that leads you out of darkness. Let me zoom out a little bit and ask this question corporately. What is it you believe is the light our world needs? Well, let me put it this way. What are you hoping in to change the world? Capitalism? Democracy? Justice initiatives? Impeachment? The Green New Deal? What John is telling us is that our hope is found in Jesus. He is the light of life. He is the solution for the world's darkness. But there's an irony that John presents to us in these verses. Because though the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, when he came, the world didn't recognize him. Verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And that word overcome has been debated significantly by theologians. It's, it's a tricky word. It's the word katalambano, and it can connote two different ideas. One connotation means to overtake or to conquer, and that's, that's how the CSB, my translation, takes it. The world did not overcome the light. The, the, the idea there is that the world uh, could not conquer the light, that, 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 that it couldn't keep the light from shining forth. But there's another way that the word can go. It can also mean to understand or to grasp. And, and this would communicate the idea that the light came into the world, but the world couldn't fully understand it. It couldn't comprehend the light. It couldn't make sense of the light. And that's where John goes in verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus entered into the creation, the very world that he made, and yet when he showed up, most people didn't recognize him. He wasn't the kind of light they were looking for. So they rejected him. What would keep you from embracing the light, the light of the world, your, your salvation, your source of hope? What would keep you from that? This is ironic, is it not? A world living in darkness, groping around, 
hoping for a solution and the light comes and the world rejects it. John gives us his answer in chapter 3, verse 19, when he says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. There are several occasions in the New Testament where Jesus performs the miracle of making blind people see. I think my favorite story is in John chapter 9. And in this story, Jesus and his disciples, they encounter a man who has been blind since birth. And and when, when the disciples see the man, they ask Jesus, who sinned, this man? Which is a strange question because if you've been blind from birth, maybe he sinned in the womb? Or his parents, that he was born blind. The common understanding of the day was that if you had an ailment like blindness, it was because you did something really bad. And so you were under a curse. You were under judgment. But Jesus tells the disciples, neither of those are the case. This is so that God's work might be displayed in him. Then he goes on and he says, and we must do the work of God while we have time. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, Jesus is about to heal this man as a demonstration of who he is. And the physical healing of this man gaining sight is a picture of a greater spiritual reality of all of us that we need to be given eyes to see that Jesus is the light of the world. But after healing this man, a debate ensues because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees take issue with Jesus' choosing to heal this man on the Sabbath. And so they go to the blind man, and, they, and they, they're kind of trying to, to pin on the blind man, what do you think about this Jesus? They say to him, give glory to God. Jesus is a sinner. He's performed this on the Sabbath. And the blind man says, I don't know much, but here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I see. And normal people don't heal blind people. Normal people can't make blind people see. I don't know what to tell you, but clearly this guy's from God. And they say to him, well, you can be this man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We follow Moses. We know that God spoke through Moses. But this man, we don't know where he's from. And the blind man says, this is a fascinating thing. This man has made me see, and you don't know where he comes from? A second time they come to this blind man, and they try to pin him again. And the second time, the blind man says, are you still asking questions? Do you want to become his disciples too? And they curse the blind man, and they send him out of the temple. And so Jesus then comes, and he finds the blind man, and he says to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, Tell me who he is, that I might believe in him. And Jesus says, You're looking at him. And the man says, I believe. And it says he worshipped Jesus. This is one of those moments in the scriptures when someone tries to tell you that Jesus didn't say he was God. Jesus received the worship of this man. Because he's God. And then Jesus says this. 
I came into the world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were standing around heard these things and asked Jesus, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus told them, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Jesus is saying something really profound here. He's saying that he came to expose to us the reality that each of us is naturally born blind. Spiritually, we are all born blind. And he came so that we might see. He came to be the light of the world. And to truly see is to see your need for him. It's to confess, Jesus, I don't see so that you might see. And what Jesus is also saying is that true blindness is self-sufficiency. It is self-righteousness. It is saying, I see. Oh, church, hear this. This is not a one-time declaration. This is every day waking up and saying to Jesus, Jesus, I don't see. Would you give me eyes to see? Jesus, I am naturally blind, and it is a gift of the Spirit for me to see you. Would you give me eyes to see? Do you see your need for Jesus this morning? Do you see your need for eyes this morning? Do you see your, your, the reality that you walk in darkness without him this morning? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan aims to blind our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to keep us from seeing the beauty of Christ. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to blind, he wants to blind you to the beauty of Christ. And what needs to happen for you and for me is for God to speak into the darkness one more time and say, let there be light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what we all need. We need God to speak light into our hearts to see Jesus as beautiful. I want you to notice one last thing with me in these verses. We not only see our need for a light and that the light that we need is a life and the irony of rejecting that light, but lastly, let's, let's see the offer of the light of life for all who will believe. Verse 11. He, that's Jesus, came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Here, John tells us that God offers his salvation to all who receive the light he sent and who believe in the name of Jesus. 
I want you to notice the development of thought here, though. We started out talking about the light and seeing. And somehow we meander into the language of family. See, Jesus doesn't come simply to show us a path. He comes to bring us into a family. Isn't that beautiful? He comes to give us the right to become God's children. Church, this is the hope that we have in Jesus. Have you believed in his name? Have you become a part of the family? And this is also the hope that we extend to a world still living in darkness. That they can get in on this. That they can become a part of the family. The light of Christ is like a porch light at mama's house that beckons prodigal children to come home. There's coffee still in the pot. There's supper still on the stove. And Jesus is saying, come home. Come be a part of the family. We say, come to the light. It's good inside this house. It's good to be a part of God's family. Everyone who believes in his name, everyone who receives Jesus as the light can get in on this. Come to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we... I pray that we would in this moment see that beautiful picture that Jesus told in Luke 15 of a prodigal who ran away and hit rock bottom and who finally came to his senses. And while he was still far off, the father saw him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him and put his ring on him and threw his robe around him and put sandals on his feet, declaring this son of mine was lost, but he has been found. He was, he was gone. He was dead, but now he's been made alive. Jesus, that's what you came to do, to bring us back to the Father. You shine the light bright, beckoning us to come home. And so, Lord, I, I pray for those this morning who have maybe never come to the light of Jesus, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus as the light of salvation today. Jesus, you are where hope is found. You are where eternal life is found. You are where peace is found. You are the solution to our problems. Life is in you. Jesus, you also say to us as your disciples that we are the light of the world, that your light in us is to shine to a lost world. God, I pray that as individuals, God, as gospel communities, Lord, as a church, that we would be like a city set on a hill that would beckon people to come in. This would be a church where there's warmth and joy and the peace of Christ, the hope of Christ. God, we want to be that kind of church. Give us the boldness to invite people to come to the light. Send us out this week, God. 
There's a dark and dying world that needs your light. We pray that we would go. In Jesus' name, amen.